This week on Double Dragon, Steve and I talk about the Lord of the Tides. Things are heating up in Westeros. Medievalist Kavita Mudon Finn answers a question about taxes. And then Steve and I read a few iTunes reviews at the end, which we do from time to time. Of course, we would love your iTunes reviews. All right, without further ado, here is comic Steve Osborne. Looks like it's a busy October, and it'll um, hopefully lighten up in November. It's a young man's game. I want to throw an idea at you. Garbage Pail Kids, the opera. <laughs> can it be a rock opera? <laughs> it sure can. Who would be the, the lead role in this? I'd like the guy who played Aegon, the last one. Sure, no, but who is he playing? What, what, which card oh, is going to be the uh, feature character? Um, like, do you want something obscure? Do you want you don't want to do like Adam Bomb? You don't want to come like right out the gate with like. The... I think he comes in as the Deus Ex Machina at the end. Got it. We're looking, I'm looking up series two here. Oh, oh yeah, I remember Patty Putty. Oh, and Acne Amy was a good one. <laughs> Diaper Donald. Diaper was just. Who could forget like... Leaky Lindsay? <laughs> it's all about her snot, <laughs> right? She's just snotty. There was a uh, mixed up Mitch. Half of him was a punk rocker with a gun, and the other half was just a regular kid. Ooh, soft, there's Juicy. So. Je- this I think this is our winner, Juicy Jess. She is um, draining a pimple from her cheek. Yeah, it's becoming toothpaste out of her face. Oh, oh wow! Oh, my God, <laughs> what a fucking time to be alive. Steve, I'd like to start this podcast a little different than I normally do. Mm-hmm. And that is to throw the ball to you. I, okay. It, it was there, there, there was like three or four things that we could start with. Uh, and I'm kind of curious to see what was most interesting to you in this episode. Whoa, most interesting? I mean... <laughs> Or, I mean, or the, thrilling or arresting. I think the thing that I walked away with the most, at least that's like still like uh, kind of uh, echoing, is like, oh, yet another time jump, right? We're doing it again. Yeah. I don't think anybody time jumped more than Amond. <laughs> he, he did the extra jump? Yeah, like everybody else jumped six years, but Amond is now the same age as Matt Smith. <laughs> He's the same age as Viserys. <laughs> Good Lord. He's yeah, he's middle aged. He's kind of one of those guys that you're pretty sure, like junior high, and you're pretty sure he's a narc because he looks about thirty (laughs) five. Right? Yeah, exactly. They're like, yeah, put the eye patch on. You'll look younger. (laughs) He's even got the you know both him and and uh, Viserys are missing an eye at this point. Right. It does age you to lose an eye and gain an eye patch. I think it, it, it does add four or five years. So. Yeah, I mean the growth spurt. The uh, I mean he's obviously got much taller, which is you know that, that's that's fine. That can happen. Sure, sure. Maybe you know, he's so. one of those guys that like puberty just really wrecks. 
you know, well, whatever whatever meds the maesters were were cooking up for him <laughs> did something to just accelerate his aging process. So I I will say that guy is menacing. Right. He was uh, like I don't know where they where they cooked him up, but uh, I feel like somebody like a casting director saw him and was like, you know, we should do a whole Targaryen show. Just by looking at him, then that's how House of the Dragon started. He's legitimately formidable. Mm-hmm. I, oh, yeah, mean, I mean, we saw we, we saw him with. He's obviously great with the sword, um, which is you know, and I love how he, uh, you know, he's he's the juxtaposition between his age and Sir Kristen's lack of it. Well, I don't think Matt Smith has shown much age. Well, but no, I guess if you have platinum hair and it goes white, right? There's not that big of a difference. Just maybe one wrinkle for Matt Smith might <laughs> might sell it. <laughs> yeah, I think they used all all their effects on Viserys. Uh... Yeah, there's no makeup left. Yeah. All the makeup went to Viserys. Yeah, that I mean that um that dinner scene is incredible. Fantastic. I, I love I mean just everything is just so believable. Like there's not one character in in this episode that I think yeah that I don't think that they would have acted that way or that was kind of stupid. That's not true to their character or a smarter a smarter character would have done a b or c. I was totally in the entire time. I I found yeah. every single move authentic. And every single misunderstanding authentic, and every single political move authentic. Yeah, and the patience um, that the director has with uh, every Viserys painstaking step um, just added to, like, just the, it's just a visceral emotion. Like you're like you're like impatient, you're kind of disgusted, it's sad at the same time. Like everything was like it does so much, and it and what it does is like. Uh, it it disarms you in a way because you're so focused on that that like it then when a head gets sliced which you should kind of always be ready for something like that in Game of Thrones yeah but what they do with this with Viserys and you know you're kind in the same way that he's clinging to life you're also clinging to the character so you're kind of distracted it's a bit of a sleight of hand thing that goes on and as the show develops and and big moments happen uh i i found myself more more vulnerable to them in a way that i don't, i'm not normally that way with uh, mm. a game of thrones show because mm. of of just how they were so patient and and this is again what we talked about in the the previous series is that the patience of game of thrones was was by far one of its virtues and that's one of the things that became a problem as you reached the later seasons well, and I think that there, I think you could easily criticize this show because of the time jumps, and a lot of people have, right? Um, and it's, I think it's it's kind of been a frustration for us from time to time. But if you think of the arc of Viserys's life, going from sort of that early moment of coronation to him finally reaching out into the darkness in this episode. It was totally worth every time jump in my mind. Mm-hmm. You were able to tell his story in a way that you couldn't have told it if we were just focused in like on two years of his life or something like that. Well, and if you were to create a series that went like spanned a couple of seasons of this, he could have easily been like a background character. 
by doing that. And I think by by giving us a sense of urgency mm. uh, with uh, with Viserys, and every time we see him, it's just a little bit worse. It's like he, you you understand his like the, the the world that that has been occupied during this time frame has existed in every labored breath that uh, that Viserys has. So the and the idea that as he's decaying and crumbling now, like. It, it, you didn't on. know what you it had. You didn't on. know what you had. That's yeah. right. Yes, it's like the last semblance of order is just passed away. Right. And the, all, the this, of, all that's yeah. left is jealousy and animosity and grudges and Valyrian steel swords. That's all that you have left. So Because everybody is telling themselves a lie that, that is more or less believable to them. That's right. They're all yes. Alicent, Alicent totally takes an incoherent statement from a drug-addled man who's on his deathbed, and she thinks, "Yep, it's all about me and my kid." Six years prior, called her a different name very earnestly. <laughs> She's like, "I understood about three of those words, but I'm pretty sure what he just said was my son should be king." Yeah, she says, uh, go with that plan that you and your father have been cooking up while I've been in here uh, high on uh, Poppy. <laughs> that's what she got. And so it's just, it's that's what I, and, and again, there's a really interesting moment too, because you go back to that, that auto, you know, like when he was so proud of her, like I now realize you have what it takes to play the game. But you see her sort of break down a little bit with Rhaenyra, and there's this sense of like, oh, maybe they're going to let bygones be bygones. But like that, that, moment where he points that out that she will go that extra step we just saw it right then yeah but we saw it in a way too that was also met her ethos because like she's got well plausible deniability to some degree which is like no no he said it <laughs> he, he's, he said it and he's the king and he's also my husband what am i gonna do i'm actually being uh-huh. i'm being a super obedient uh queen and well you know you know wife at this point We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. 
the thrills of King's Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Commission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan-favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. Uh, let, let me start with Damon and Renera here. Damon goes into a cave and unearths a few steaming dragon eggs. Mm-hmm. He's given a note from Driftmark and learns from Bela that Vaymond has designs on the Driftwood throne. The two blondies decide to set sail for King's Landing to defend Luke's claim. After arriving, they visit Viserys and introduce him to his grandchildren slash nephews. The king is pained and asks for his tasty heroin tea. Viserys is basically gone full golem at this point, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's... He well, he's the crab feeder, right? I mean, he's got... He's, he's... now the crab... He's turned it... We were wondering what was going to happen to the crab feeder. <laughs> the, the costume department's like, you know, we put a lot of effort in that mask. <laughs> Kyburn's in the back. Let's sew the top half of the crab feeder <laughs> onto Viserys' body. We've been talking about, like, well, surely he's dead. Like, every episode, we've been like... Well, surely he's dead now, right? Yeah, I was, I was just telling, I was telling Heather like so much of watching the show is like because I just love Patty Considine's uh, uh, performance so much. I'm like, oh, I don't want him to die. I don't want him to die. This is what episode I did not have that I don't want him to die feeling. You're like, just <laughs> like, give, just go, give him bro. the sweet darkness. This guy, I, love, I just love how, how like all the knights are weakened at burning him all the way through the the <laughs> castle. Should we be looking at Viserys like an addict? Addicted to drama, family drama? No, like he's taking opium like every day. Yeah, well, he's not. Have you you seen the alternative for this guy? No, no, of course. Of course he's doing it because of the pain. He's he's addicted to not decaying and rotting from the inside out. I'm not saying that he's got a better option. I'm just saying if he wants to do a day without opium, and we kind of see him do that because he wants to, you know... Gross everybody out. <laughs> he wants to gross everyone out. Yeah, he wants to be a political player one more day of his life. Right, right. And I do think that some of his suffering might be related to the fact that he, he he's just going through withdrawals. Yeah, 
No, I get that, right? I mean, that's, I, I, yeah, I mean, they, they're, because even he was like, push, when he pushed it off, it was hard to say, too, that it's like, is this a, an addiction of his own making, right? I mean. Well, and I think that Damon might actually kind of hit hints toward that end. You guys have been keeping him drugged. So mm-hmm. you can you can rule the kingdom in his absence. I do because wonder, if let, yeah. Because if you don't, I mean, the idea, I, the way I saw it, you know, and I'm sure that's probably what you're getting at, is that if, if you're not drugging him, he'll eventually just die. They're or, keeping him alive because as long as he's alive, Alicent's the queen. Yeah, and I don't get the sense. Like I do, I do think that Alicent can be conniving. I, mean, I saw that as an auto move more than anything else. Right, yeah. But I do think that, yeah, there's something about sort of like, right now this is me going full conspiracy theorist. Old Town is where Otto's from. And that's the area of the kingdom where all the ma- the hub of the maesters are. So if there's anyone that's going to do a conspiracy with the maesters, it's the High Towers. And mm. so I think it's a lie possibility that Otto is trying to remove the king, and he's doing it through Maester Orwile. Now, I, I none of that is on the surface, but I think that at least we have like a a nod to that with with what Damon accuses Allison of. Mm, okay. Anyway, interesting. I don't think that I, I think it might be unanswerable, but I do think it's a live possibility. And I think that we should kind of be a little bit suspicious of the Maesters because a lot of the people in the world of Ice and Fire are suspicious of the Maesters. Specifically, I don't I, I don't know if we've talked about this, but there is a theory, uh like a, a fan theory, that the dragons actually go away because of the Maesters. Oh, interesting. Like the maesters are conspiring to get rid of Targaryens and dragons. Hmm. So maybe they're sort of the source of the fall of the dynasty. Yeah, like Michael Jackson's doctor. There you go. Uh, This is the rise and demise of Vaemon de Valerion. Renice learns of the potentially mortal wound of Corlys. Vaemon bluntly makes a claim to be the next Lord of the Tides. That's a pretty good title, Lord of the Tides. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of titles being passed around, Hand of the King, whatever. I, I think Lord of the Tides is among the best. I would think so. I mean, it's, I mean that's like your Lord of Nature. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah, it's it, Nick I, Nolte was Nick Nolte the Prince of Tides. He was the Prince of Tides, and and maybe mm-hmm. that's why maybe it's my undying love for Nolte, <laughs> right? Sort of has peak snuck Nolte. into this. Yeah, peak Nolte was just yeah that was that was sexiest Nolte when man he was, alive. Yeah, the sexiest man alive era of of Nick Nolte, which is interesting a weird thing that to he say. was also the ugliest man alive simultaneously. <laughs> Only yeah. Nolte could pull that off. Yeah, and I mean, oh how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> Uh, speaking of the mighty falling, she reminds him that her cousin Viserys would not take kindly to such a claim. He reminds her that Viserys no longer runs the kingdom. Vaemon seeks an audience with the queen in the hand and promises a debt to them if he if they can support his claim to Driftmark. Later at court, Otto sits and speaks for the king on the Iron Throne. Vaemon pleads his case before the court. Rhaenyra's rejoinder is interrupted by the king who enters with the slowest walk to the throne ever performed by a golden goblin. 
<laughs> I'm glad you like that. That was <laughs> I put a little yeah, thought into that one. I like that. Um, Otto stands down, and the king calls on his cousin Renice to reiterate her husband's wish for succession. She makes official the marriage proposed by Renera. Vaymond gets bold, and Vaymond gets sliced. Uh, what'd you think about good old Vaymond going out? It was very Mortal Kombat finishing move. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. Uh, yeah, so we do a dismemberment count every week. It's sort of half a head. I mean, I'm gonna... I, when head you above the that, jaw, right? Head above the jaw. Yeah. That much head is a head. I mean, I think he's got to. You got to start rounding up a little bit, right? I mean, okay. <laughs> so you're gonna say he was beheaded? Um, because I would de-headed. think when oh, dehead. Okay, all right. Because I was thinking like um, a beheading, a classic beheading is at the neck. Sure, sure. Right. I mean, they cut off his nose and his eyes sure, and sure, his sure. eyebrows. <laughs> I mean, if you really want to get down to it, I mean. And I was I appreciated of this because uh, Damon has a Valyrian steel sword, a fabled sword with a fancy name. It's called Dark Sister, and they haven't made a lot of it. But I kind of feel like, hey man, if he's got a super sharp sword, I'd like to see it in action. Right. And they didn't really show me what kind of action he could get into with a crab feeder. It all kind of happened off screen. Uh, but this this time was sort of like. Sword's gonna go right through the skull, slice through a Valerian like butter. Oh yeah, got it right. Uh, so poor Vaymond. I mean, he knew what he was getting himself into at that point, right? I, I mean, I would imagine. I, here's the thing, though. I think that Viserys is kind of known for not doing right, anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, but he, I mean, you would you would imagine that you're gonna get a response from Damon, right? He he or actually somebody. Damon actually has that little line where he's like, "Say it, just say it, man." I know. Just he's just begging him to say it. Uh, you do get the sense that this is what Viserys was kind of needing the whole time. He he kind of needed Damon at his side because Viserys didn't have the stomach to do this kind of thing. Well, and I needed to do it to Damon. <laughs> that, that's part of the reason why Damon could have <laughs> right, even sure. been at his side. Sure, right. Uh, gets him from behind. I'll, I'll notice the uh, note that a uh, little, you know, little cowardly to do it from behind. Sure. Uh, Damon isn't the kind of guy that cares about such things. No, and it does, but it also sends a pretty clear message to everybody too. It's like uh, if everybody's looking for a fair or a noble fight, um, don't expect one from Damon. Uh, so sure. it's just the, it's the ultimate watch your back, right? I mean, that's that's proof right there that you should just just assume that you're always in danger. I think that that's pretty. Yeah, it's a pretty good assumption. Um, I will say though that um, since we're talking about Damon, that moment where the king is trudging through the throne room. To mm-hmm. get to the Iron Throne, and he he's determined to do it by himself, and then you know he he tells the King's Guard, "No, I l- let me do it. I'll do it by myself." And then he looks up and sees that it's Damon. Right. That got me. I I thought, yeah, this is th- these brothers have had differences, but at the end of the day, 
they've always had each other's back. You know, when it really mattered. Right. Maybe that's too strong of a statement. Anyway, I, I liked the scene. It, it was a, it was emotionally affecting for me. I, I I felt the same way. I also because because of who they are. That's for sure how I think Viserys feels about it. Like, yes, oh, my brother. At the end of the day, like when it all comes, set all of our differences aside, he's he's still my brother. And I think for Damon, it's a little bit of like it's a good look. It's a good look when you're trying to, you know, you're now, uh, you know, married to the queen to be. It's also, uh, why not? This you take one look at this guy and think he's not going to be around much longer. I don't think I need to do a lot of lot more conniving at this point. So why not do one last little good grace thing? Right. Um, so it's it's sort of a, a a perfect time to sort of look like you've turned over a new leaf, so to speak. And especially if you're going to be in a situation where, who knows, maybe you're going to chop somebody's head in half. And- well, haven't we already established that, that Damon doesn't think ahead? You know, it's like he's not thinking, like, how is this going to look politically? I think he just acts. He's just in that moment. He couldn't stand seeing his older brother look feeble. And he's going to do something about it. He's, he's not the kind of guy that thinks, like, uh, this will make me look good. You know, if you know, because I'm going to be the king consort, and I'm going to need to like look like I have. He's not going to do any of that. He's going to do whatever in his heart at that moment. Yeah, maybe. I mean, but time is, as we've seen, there's been a lot of time has gone by. Maybe, maybe he's gotten a little better at it, or you know, this, you know, just it could be that that he's positioned himself politically now in a way where he's given himself more of an opportunity to see these things through. But yeah, he, I mean, I think you can take from it that they're, like I said, going back to that, that initial uh, plotting with Corliss where Corliss was, was bad mouthing Viserys and, and Damon was not having it. And I don't know how much of that is because that's my brother or how much of that is, um, you know, the, the family name or how, you know, regardless, it's like Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's like, we're, we're family. This, this matters to some capacity, even if it's a selfish, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. if if it's selfish for me to not want someone to insult the Sarah's because it feels like it's, it's sort of an adjacent attack to me, whatever the case is. I mean, that's, that's just whatever diminishes the diminishes Targaryens at large. Right. So, right. I'm going to say lots of nice things about Viserys at the end, but I do want to note that he's kind of in a pickle in that he does the honorable thing by defending his daughter, and yet he, he in order to defend his daughter, he has to do it with a lie. Right? He has to perpetuate the lie that these boys are legitimate, true-born sons of right. his daughter. Vaymon tells the truth. Sure. He's, he's the guy who's saying it bluntly. He's got the truth and he gets killed for it because that's what happens around these Targaryens. Right. So, I don't know. I mean, there there's a sense in which like, hey dude, that wasn't politically savvy. Um and yet there's it's a little bit refreshing to like just hear someone just state the truth baldly, bluntly. You know, damn the torpedoes. Right, and I think that that's just showing the now the uh, the the fissures in this whole facade, and then the, the um, in in the kingdom and the rule as well is that uh, 
people are probably just kind of over it. You know, this is sort of when you talk about the demise of the Targaryens. It's like they're just, they're just, you know, I don't care if you have a dragon anymore. You suck, you know. And there's just a little bit of that. Yeah, that that has to be going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like I said, it is re- it's refreshing to some degree, but it it it's also fleeting because I mean, you know, I mean, like you say, maybe he knows that he'll have some degree of mercy, but that's again coming from the king, and the king is on his last legs. So that's the other part of it is like you make this this decree, yeah. And what happens if the king dies tonight? Who's in charge? Uh, Rhaenyra and Damon are, yeah. And your that head's coming off. You know what I mean? It's like it's so. I I feel like there was just an element of like I'd rather at this point. I think his take was I'd rather die uh, than see my to see my my line. Um, you know, diluted this way. Mm-hmm. But I think he saw it that way and was like, well, as far as I'm, to some degree, I think if you want to see Vayman as, as a noble uh, person in his house, it was sort of like, well, as far as I'm concerned, you've just kind of killed everything I stand for anyway. Sure. Yeah. By doing this. Now, the marriage of the, of the uh, cousins, is there the cousins or? Everyone's cousins, brothers, and aunts and uncles, and right. and yeah. spouses in this show. Yeah. So the the clustering of the uh, of of the families, at least that sort of keeps some degree of uh, you know of of, of bloodline, right? I mean, uh, well, and I think that that's what Renair has been trying to do because she right. knows her her sons are rumored to be bastards. And she actually knows biologically, yes, they are bastards, right? Right. Um, so she keeps on trying to marry them off to to pure blood folk because that would be a way to protect their progeny. Um, and it didn't work before, and it happens to work this episode, or so it seems. And I think that that's been her strategy for a long time. Right. So interesting. I, I want to say one thing, and this is a little bit of like a metacritical issue. I don't know if you're aware. You're, you're more online than I am. But um, I think that there was some kind of consternation among some folks that the Valerians were cast by uh, people of color. Hmm. Um, did you Were you aware of any of this? Um, I, would, I just assumed... <laughs> Because of the world we live in. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, in, in the books, you know, the Valerians are supposed to, like, you know, be, you know, pale-skinned. Mm. And uh, they, they've decided to cast, you know, Corliss and company uh, by black actors. And this sort of caused a lot of sort of book purists, they call themselves, uh, a bit of angst. And, and I could – so in the books – I would, you know, it would assume that the um, that the bastard children don't noticeably look like they're from a different line. Well, they have the brown hair. Oh, they right? do have the brown hair, and the brown okay. hair is kind of the the important thing. It's kind of their thing, right? But the they reason why I was bringing this up is because I was watching the you know inside the episode interviews after this episode last night, and. The actor who plays Vaymond basically said, well, if you look at those kids, they don't look black and they don't have platinum hair. And I thought, actually, that was a really smart casting move to make the Valerians black. 
because it makes it look so dramatically different to modern uh, viewers' eyes mm-hmm. and make it so obvious that these boys are absolutely from Harwin Strong. They're absolutely right. not from Lenore Valerian. Um, it's not just the platinum hair. It's the fact that they don't look anything like their father, right? Right, which almost makes it even more absurd that there's still this, yeah, uh, this, this, you know, like even from you know Viserys, like insisting that, like, come on, what are you guys talking about, like, and then like, and then it makes the right. uh, the Aegon dec- declaration during the confrontation even more like, it's just so like on the nose, like, well, look at him, <laughs> absolutely, and then Vaymond in this episode, he, you know, that is not a Valerian, you know, he's he's. It's just so obvious to him. It's so obvious to everyone. And he just can't live with the bullshit anymore. Right. And of course, you know, you can't do that around these Targaryens. They're, they're going to yeah, chop do think, your head and I, off. And I think it does, to the point you're making too, it does elevate the... Um, the this the stubbornness and the yeah. uh, the insulting of the intelligence of everybody around <laughs> to right. to preserve this and I think there is I, it does hold more weight I think um, than just if the hair color uh, wasn't right you know because yeah because like, eh, and I will say it's like, sort of like on a more superficial level I'm just glad that I can distinguish some of these actors from each other because. Right. It, you start to get a little bit like I don't know who's who and who's related to who and you know whatever. In terms of visual storytelling, I think it was a really smart move to bring in actors of color. Yeah, and, and to neutralize that a little bit, they meant make everybody's name either sound the same or be the same. <laughs> this could have just been called House of the Aegons. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, before the year uh, 1000, everyone's name was John. Like, everyone. <laughs> Men, women, <laughs> dogs, a horses. Pup- a puppy named John, yeah puppets they were all named john everyone was that's what made jesus so special he's like the only one not named john they're like well clearly he must be the son of god (laughs) you've been listening to quite a few bald move podcasts now but you're not in the club whoo boy you are missing out not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full spoiler-filled first-run movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is reward unto itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. Since
Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And why Bald Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running around naked, and they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe! Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on merch to start shopping. Okay, uh, this next storyline is the children. Jacerus struggles to learn High Valerian. He believes that the old language is a requisite for his duties as the future king. They all travel to King's Landing, where Jace and Luke uh, reminisce over old times. They witness the kid they used to bully kicking ass in the training yard. Amond has grown up and is able to best Kristen Cole at arms. Um, just a, just a minor observation. If you're going to like just practice at arms, maybe don't use a full on mace. Right? Yeah. I was looking at that going, this seems a little dangerous. It just seems like a really stupid move. <laughs> this guy's a prince. This guy is a prince. Yeah. Uh, anyway, just something that occurred to me. No, I, I, it, it stood out I guess out they didn't have, too. like, nerf, nerf maces back then. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, it just, like, how many of the, I'm assuming this was, like, a lot of these battles in the making, and then eventually, like, all right, let's bring out the, the heavy-duty stuff, and I don't know, it just, it was a little bit, like, seems like there's a lot of risk here. It's like, oops, sorry, I guess he's dead. <laughs> Can't get another eye patch for the whole body. <laughs> The old head patch on. So I, I kind of like the contrast between Jace, who's like struggling to learn High Valyrian. Maybe you should be practicing with a sword or something. Right. Yeah. You know that your your uncle there is uh, he's learning to kick some ass, and you and you're you're not even very good at the language. You know, maybe try something different. Yeah, there is a uh, it really sets up. Um, you know, for for this impending, you know, house battles that are just inevitable. There's like, who's who's gonna be the most prepared? Like, you you know, you're gonna try to talk your way out of it. You can't even do the language very well. So like, that's right. That's you right. got, but meanwhile, you have you've got like soldiers. You got some cutthroat folks in the making, and there's a lot of reliance on um, on cooler heads prevailing when it comes to uh, you know. The, the the strong boys yeah right and uh, i think i think we should note here that uh Aemond, i think he's a legitimate badass i think Aemond is a legit ba- I, I think he he look he he definitely looks 45 mm-hmm. um he he's got the yeah you know, he's, he's sort of full snake snake pliskin at this point oh yeah like if you were ever gonna like send someone into the penitentiary that used to be Manhattan Island, mm-hmm. you'd probably send Amond for sure. Yeah, if I'm filming Escape from Dragonstone. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> All right, next storyline here. This is Allison. 
Allison listens to the small council debate rights, the rights of Corliss's successor. She questions and comforts Diana, a girl who has been raped by Aegon. Then Alicent levels a thinly veiled threat and pays off the girl. After the girl drinks tea, Alicent berates Aegon and tells him that he is no son of hers. Helena walks in and asks after Diana. Um, does D- does Diana die? Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I kind of got the. I. I. The only reason why I wasn't sure that she maybe did was because she drank the tea. So she's paid off, which she's means paid like, off. It seems like, and and Allison kind of like very thinly veils her threat. Like, mm-hmm. look, if you if you tell anyone, people are gonna think it, it's your fault, right? So she's sort of like using that like really gross, dirty leverage on her. Why do you do that if you know that you're about to kill her? Right. I feel like they would have just. Um... If she was just they had her killed, like, but like I, you know, they would have played it much differently. So I think she lives. I got the sense that there's a bunch of these women out there. Sure, I think that the other way to look at this is that yeah, she's dead. And then when Helena comes in later and says, "Hey, where's Diana? She was supposed to dress the, mm. the babies." Oh, well, I don't know. She's she's out in a ditch somewhere. Got it. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, it's- it just seemed like a lot of a lot of effort. To, sure. to say to, to, like to, you get the, here's the money here's the tea why do you, like if you're just going to kill the person and do away with them then you don't need to do the whole tea business you know what's what's the advantage to that and who, who would that be for if they were alone yeah i think another way to look at it is okay so dan is like they disappeared her right right they gave her some money she's going to be put in the storage part of we're a you off Look, here's the thing. Don't look. We're, we don't want you to have the baby. We don't want you to have any leverage or any reason. No one needs to come back uh, with the sword looking for their dad. Hey, here's here's some money. Yeah, yeah, go to, yeah. Go to Dorn. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe she just had her shipped out. I don't know. It's hard hard to say. It's hard to say with these things. Uh, we got introduced to another set of twins this episode. I, I don't know if you noted this. Oh, the, the 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 youngies. No, the uh, Eric and Auric. They're both members of the Kingsguard. Mm, mm, oh, and when yeah, Allison yeah. is being told about her son's dirty business, uh, he she says, "You know, Sir Auric, this can wait." And he's like, oh, "I'm actually Eric." And yeah, then you okay. you see them sparring a little bit later in the yard, and you, so you kind of get the sense like we got we got another set of twins to deal with here. Uh, Twins abound in Westeros. And, of course, as is the case, they're going to make their names very similar to each other. (laughs) Right. Because that's what they do in this show. Okay, the other thing that I I noted was that Alicent tells the girl, uh, you you know, you can't tell anyone. And she says, "I, I won't breathe a word to anyone. She says, but you've already told Eric and Talia, and now me. And I just wanted to note here that Talia was the girl who who connected with Masaria later in the episode. Oh, okay. That's good to know. So, and when she shows up and talks to Masaria, Masaria seems to already know that, that stuff has been going on. Right. She's yes. like, it's been an eventful night at, at the castle there. 
And so you get the sense that Masari has got several spies. It's not just several birds. Yes, right. And I will note that the way that they present Masaria in this episode looks very similar to the costuming of Melisandre in the second oh, season. Yeah, yeah that, I, that was something that I took away too. Like it had some, like even her whole countenance. Had, yeah, yeah, yeah. Had that vibe. So I think that they, I think that they're trying to tell us that there's more to her than meets the eye. So right. And ha- and that's got to excite you, right? Because you, you like you like the sense that there might be so you, you you need more magic, right? I would like her to magically have a better accent. <laughs> oh, that would be well, <laughs> yeah, that'd be incredible. I like to think that that's maybe part of her her ruse. <laughs> sure. That later she'll she'll have more of a southern twang or something because <laughs> sure. that's it's a bit of a chore. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, anyway, I, I do want to see some more magic for sure. Uh, this is Renera seeks an ally. Renice is in the Godswood when Renera greets her. The princess presses Renice to reveal her motives and calls Veyman's suit a trap. Renice accuses the princess of murder. Renera denies any part in the murder of Lenore and proposes marriage between her children and their cousins. Renice doesn't answer, but predicts that the High Towers will soon make a move against the princess. Again in the Godswood. Again in the Godswood. Lots of Godswood stuff. We've talked a little bit about this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, why? Why is every important conversation? I shouldn't say every, but why is so many important conversations in front of that tree? Yeah, I mean that's and. And yeah, I mean, unless this is this is a link, are they? I mean, is this going to be one of the deviations? Uh, like you said, if it's not in the if it's not in the books now, um, and they're going through the effort to 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 make it such a central figure, I mean, it's it's not just a you know an Easter egg for Easter egg's sake, right? Because I mean, it's so here's a here's sort of a thematic reading that I came up with. So this this scene has kind of a parallel bec- between an earlier scene we saw between Renera and Alicent, where Renera promises that she absolutely did not have sex with her uncle. Right. Right. She tells she tells interesting truths. Right. Right. So it's like a half truth in front of the tree. And now this this just may be something that I noticed. I don't know if any. I don't know if the showrunners have this in mind at all, but. Martin borrows that whole tree stuff from the Druids who worshipped around oak trees and there was this this strong connection between oak and truth. And, and you know there's all kinds of stories and legends about you know they connect oak oak trees and truth. Um in fact there is a story from Scotland about Thomas the Rhymer and he's at an oak tree, and he goes into the oak with the the queen of Elfland. And when he comes out, and I think you'll like this, so he far is, so good. He is given two gifts, Steve: mm-hmm. a tongue that cannot lie, and fancy green shoes. Oh goddamn! You know I like green shoes. <laughs> I know you do. But anyway, it's kind of a fun way to read like Ned Stark and Jon Snow because they're really into like the old school religion and they're also really bad at lying. Mm, yeah. And anyway, I think it's interesting to show that backdrop 
because Rhaenyras is all about the lie. She's all about telling the half truth where she's not really lying, but she's absolutely deceiving. And she yeah, does she it knows twice. She knows, what, she knows what's being asked, right? right. I mean, ultimately, that's, right. that's it's, uh, you know, what I said was true from a certain point of view. That's <laughs> sure. Yeah, she's going, she's going, she goes Obi-Wan twice in front of a tree that symbolizes truth. Right. So I think thematically that's interesting to me. I do want, you know, there's just a little part of me that wants a little, little bit more, a little bit more. Got it. Yeah, and I, but I do think that that is a, a, a key, a, you know, a key couple of things that happened because it, it does, it did uh, strike me that 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 particular conversation was happening in in that setting. Yep. Um, and, and the nature of it, right? I mean, the the. The the kind of clever. Uh, oh no no, I'm t- I'm telling the truth totally, totally. And, and 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 she is. I mean, she is telling the truth very literally. Um, but yeah, the idea that 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 would pass a lie detector test, but wouldn't pass the gods would test, right? And I think it works. I think I think she does. I mean, I think I think Renice is inclined not to believe anyone because she's like so old and cynical. Mm-hmm. But I think she does the political calculus and she decides, yeah, I'll, I'll ally with her. I don't care if she might have killed my son. I'll, I'll ally with her. Right. And I think that that's also an advantage of the these time jumps. I mean, six years probably, you know, for me anyway, if somebody, if I believe somebody, you know, went through the effort to kill my son, I don't know that six years would be a water under the bridge time frame. But uh... what if she was a gorgeous blonde? Would that do any di- make any difference? <laughs> it might, it might, but yeah, I think there's something to be, to be said for just this. Like they time time moves at a different pace. Obviously, six years of just like I mean, you've got your your husband's out. You know, hey, we're talking about his succession because you want more death in your life. Like there's just mm-hmm. she's lost her son, she's lost her her daughter, and it comes down to the point where you're like, man, all of this is fleeting. Uh, what's 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 fine? Let's just do what's fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I and I do think that she thinks her husband's going out, right? And I and I think that there's something about her that feels like, um, I don't know if I want my husband's brother, right, to lord it over me. Yeah, that that seemed to be. Um, what I mean, I she's guessing. she's been ruling the roost for six years, right? Does she want to give up the throne to some dude that is going to, you know, go all bro on her? And I like the idea of the, you know, like, oh, it doesn't really matter. And how much of, of these decisions seem to be kind of cloaked in that. I mean, but if there's one thing that she should have learned, like, for her own husband, you know, like... She may think he's on the way out, but has she learned anything from the uh, the, the, the clinging to life that is Viserys? I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah, in this show, unless they cut you in half, right, you're going to live. <laughs> if you've got if if your head is at least connected to itself, <laughs> you've got a fighting chance, <laughs> right? Um. All right. This next storyline: Viserys wastes away. Viserys is turning to dust before our very eyes. When princess, the princess and Damon arrive that night, he is barely coherent as his daughter pleads with him to support her against her enemies. She appeals to Aegon's dream prophecy. 
The next day after supper, he's given more heroin tea by Allison and confuses her with his daughter. He refers to Aegon as if answering Rhaenyra, but Allison thinks that he's talking about her son. Viserys says a few more words and then slips into the darkness. I guess the first question is here is, Allison says, I understand my king after he's incoherent. What does she understand? Or what yeah, does she that, think that, she understands? I that's I I think if I'm if I'm well and then maybe it's ambiguous all on purpose, but like when I when I'm reading that scene and his uh confusion of uh Allison and Renera, I mean he 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 has a, a belief of what the prophecy is supposed to be. Right. And he believes that Rhaenyra's uh, a part of that prophecy uh, in a significant way. And so when she reads it as, if she's reading it as an Aegon thing, I think she sees it almost as a kingly decree or maybe just a husbandly decree that like, you know what, you've got to, we've got to keep it here in the family. Mm. And if she says, I know what I have to do, it may be, it may be, that her her whatever conversations and whatever you know sort of back deal plannings or whatever her and Otto may have had or talked about you know nuclear options once mm-hmm. the, the time comes I feel like she knows like she already has another plan the only thing that may have have seemed to throw a slight wrinkle into it was uh, seeming to to the, to be getting along better with with Renera uh, and maybe that having some. Uh, impact on on her next decision making, but I don't think that that's really the case. I well, think. this guy has a long history of being indecisive and unable to make hard choices when they're when they're presented to him. So much so that when he's in the throne room, he says, "I could cut your tongue out for that." And before he can even finish the sentence, his brother cuts off the guy's head. Mm. And so here's a guy that needs someone to act on his behalf. Because his, his comment is perfect. I could. It's like, well, then do it. <laughs> right? I mean, you always... Everything, I could barely stand up right now if I had a mind to. Yeah, everything is something that you could do, and it's always something that you never do. So, And then she also has the example of Laris, who like all... All she has to say is like a veiled desi- desire to have her father back in town and he goes out and he burns down a castle burns down his his father and his brother so it's almost like she's like all right i'm gonna have to be your varus you know you know what you want you don't have the gumption to get it done i'm gonna put my son on the throne because that's what that's what needs to happen and finally you've given me permission to do that exactly and that's what i'm getting out of is that she's been sort of playing this along, playing this along. And it's like, all right, we've got like, you know, her and the, with, whether even with the council, probably not the council, but like with Otto and all these folks they've got, we know what we have to do. If it, if there's any ambiguity, if there's any ambiguity or what's always like, well, we'll just, we'll cross that bridge when the time comes in terms of how to handle the, uh, Renera succession and how mm-hmm. we may have to thwart it. Cause they can't, they're not just buying time. They're not just, writing this out there are plans in place there's Otto's already talked about the game so all of that is already 
you know, they, they're using this time to, to sort of come up with that plan. And the question is like how and when, but if it appears that even the, the, the king himself is t- telling you to go ahead and go through with it, um, then now it's like, okay, great. Now I can even do it maybe with yeah. a more clear, with an even clearer conscience. Yeah, that's right. Because, because, you know, my husband and the king said, go do that thing. And, and it is, it's an, it'll, it, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing with this misunderstanding being, being, uh, uh, the way that this may go into motion, but it does, it feels pretty on brand for Viserys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they've certainly established this guy as, I mean, they've done a lot of work to make this guy have a history with both of these characters and keep secrets from both characters, right? He mm-hmm. he's kept secrets from his wife. He's kept secrets from his daughter. Uh, they only have a certain part of the picture, and and they both have kind of a relationship with him where he could confuse one for the other. They're both about the same age. He's basically blind at this point. He's confused half the time. He's he's usually high. I. They've made this this little misunderstanding absolutely authentic to this mm-hmm. particular character, um, right? And I and I love the idea that a realm can be devastated on so little, right? right. And and I and I right. think that there's I mean there's a there's a great um, you know there's a lot of commentary here too, right? About just like the 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 fragility of of this type of of almost any kind of hierarchy mm-hmm. right whether i mean you could take any political um and i think we've seen it we've obviously seen it in our own lives like you just it t- takes so very little to tip those scales and and this is just a an absolutely fascinating way to to bring it about um i it's crazy to think that when it's all said and done that this is this is how it's going to go down but it does it is fully on brand for him um just he his legacy is just a and he's not a dunce but it's just he's far too trusting why would you put Otto as the hand of the king again like I mean that's to me was like that's a classic move on his part that that shows that he just can't get out of his own way I yes I think I agree with you and I think that there's also another component to this and that is that's how this episode ends he kind of reaches into the darkness and says, my love. Mm-hmm. And my sense is that he's kind of like envisioning his dead wife or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not not quoting the Justin Timberlake song. Maybe not. Maybe not. Mm. Okay. I misread it then. Implausible. I would, I would call that an implausibility. Well, I haven't read the books. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Um, I think another way that you could look at that is like, this guy is absolutely a lover, not a fighter. He was mm-hmm. never built for kingship. He was built to love. And that's, I say a lot of horrible things about him. Like maybe he's a really ineffectual king. Um, you know, maybe he is milk toast and all the, all the bad things that we say about him. Um, maybe he's he, the grossest face in, in the land. In addition to being a liar, he's the <laughs> ugliest liar. Ever to sit the Iron Throne. Pre-Joffrey. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, 
But he loved his wife. He loved his daughter. He loves his family. He's, I, I say Which a lot of things. so are, unique in this world. I feel like I what I need to do is I need to rewind and right-click delete every single time I say that this show is only populated by villains. Mm. Like, I, I think the last episode I said, like, everyone in this show is Walter White. They're all Breaking Bad. You can't root for anyone. But I think Viserys who in many ways has been kind of the main character so far. The one thing you can say about him is he wa- he loves sincerely and wants to be loved sincerely. Mm. And he's just surrounded by completely depraved lunatics. And his and his biggest weakness is wanting to trust these people. <laughs> That's true. Well, he wants to love them so desperately. And I think that that's kind of him. He thinks he can love them into goodness. Mm -hmm. I think that one way you could read that last scene is that, like, he misses his wife. He's seen her. She's not really there. He reaches out and says, my love. But the way that I'm suggesting to read it is that, like, he's always been reaching into the darkness, grasping at nothing, trying to love someone. And it never worked. No. It never okay. worked. He was never able to get it to happen. That's lovely. Yeah, well, now we move to the worst uh, supper time drama ever. <laughs> I don't know. I've had a few Thanksgivings. <laughs> um, the king proposes a toast to the marriage of cousins. <laughs> yeah, again, like I said, I've had some weird Thanksgivings. At this point, I'm like, yeah, just how about cousins? I'm like, yeah. that's I'll, I will compromise. But then my wife leans over and goes, you know, like genetically speaking, you're more closely related to your cousins than you are your your actual siblings. And I'm like, well, that's that's great. <laughs> that that sounds like hocus pocus. Was <laughs> that true? It sounds like somebody trying to justify something. If you ask me, Aegon continues to be a world class prick. Then the king <laughs> removes his mask and ruins everyone's appetite. <laughs> Including mine. <laughs> From what might be forever. Thank but, you, King Toxic <laughs> Avenger. But seemingly his plea for unity works on Rhaenyra and Alicent, although flee- albeit fleetingly. But the boys act out. Aemond gets a suckling pig and a smirk from Luke. Then he makes a toast to his strong nephews, and hands are thrown. Damon steps in, and Aegon or and Aemond steps aside. Uh, I was riveted. I was riveted from start to finish. Perfect scene. Love. I even love the music. Oh yeah, everything like, was great. Oh, you had that moment where it's like, oh my gosh, they they kind of they're kind of enjoying each other. They're getting along a little bit. Well, we're so well trained with Game of Thrones too that like big meals and gatherings are just a problem. <laughs> so like I'm at the edge of my seat just anyway. Yeah. But then it's like, and what they did was they gave me that same level of tension and yeah. and every like everything that goes along with it. But the difference is is that the 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 big payoff feels like the rest of the series. Right. Like this was such a crucial uh, moment to get them all together and to just have them like uh, the, whether it was the, the niceties, the, the, the 
the backhanded uh, compliments, the uh, <laughs> what is it? The daughter's name? Oh, Helena. The, 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 Helena. Man, I tell you what, they got a great actress to play <laughs> older Helena. Just, just nailing it. Yeah, it's not that bad actually. You know, he mostly, mostly leaves you alone, and unless he's drunk, and unless he's drunk, which is also like she's just like you know Princess TMI. <laughs> it's so bad. This whole thing is so bad. Dem- All right, dismemberment count. Uh, lost a head, and uh, it happened off screen, but it is notable that uh, Viserys no longer has an eye. Yeah. Yeah, there was an effect at one point where he takes his uh, his little mask off and uh, and like he did something and like the light was shining through his mouth and it was like really just it was a really nice touch um, for just a absolutely grotesque. I mean, uh, if that was me, I would absolutely put grapes in my eye socket and and freak out the little kids. <laughs> I just love that. Like, I want you all to look at me at my absolute worst. And it's just, it's like, nah, bro. I'm going to bring you all together in your common repulsion from my <laughs> exactly. eye socket. Like, who, who, yeah, who wants to vomit? Come on, kids. Don't be shy. <laughs> um, a, a cheek speak. You were right to take the over. We got a full Aegon butt crack. Yeah. So two <laughs> yeah. two cheeks, and I called it a at a one. I called it as a side cheek. So uh, so that's two weeks in a row, Steve. You you got yeah, me feeling good. You're feeling good. You're on a streak. <laughs> All right, I think it's your turn to set the line on next week's cheek speak. Um, I've been pretty uh pretty shocked at just how um how tame the uh you know considering how it came in it came out the gate pretty strong um and we've gone several episodes without any major cheekage um mm-hmm. uh but we're we're headed into a penultimate i'm going to set the line at three and a half right we should talk about that the penultimate episodes for game of thrones were usually the climactic episode of the entire season right right and then they use the season finale to set the set the table for the next season how does this episode shock us yeah it's a great question because um i could it could shock us by going back in time i guess um there's there's a sense now that like i feel i mean who knows if we're going to do more time jumps but i feel like we with the kings out of the king out of the way, like almost anything can happen, and we don't we don't know what um, Alicent's uh, knowing what she has to do next is exactly. Um, but there's, you know, what we do know is that Rhaenyra had there was the talk that like you know she had it in her rights, or it was it could be possible that she could eliminate. Uh, Allison's children mm-hmm. if they posed a threat so there's another element of like well can that go the other direction huh um, I don't know what that would mean exactly but if you're going to try to preserve if if her intent is to get Aegon to be on the throne well that would have to upset the succession plan pretty dramatically and the only thing that would 
makes sense is that Rhaenyra has to be out of the picture, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that there's something to be said for possession being nine-tenths of the law. So you just sort of get squatter's rights in the in the castle? So if you fortify King's Landing at this point, if you right. can Let's get... imagine, like, Rhaenyra and company are back at Dragonstone, and Allison decides to put her son on the throne, then just say, hey, come take it from us. Yeah, that's certainly, I think that's certainly on the table. I think also there's an interesting plot uh, point that says she's taking everybody back to Dragonstone. She's going to return on a dragon. This is all, you know, kind of happening while the mm. king is dying. Um, if if you've got, I mean, who's loyal to whom, right? And how does that work? Uh, you know, if the king passes and the succession plan is in place, is it just as simple as all the king's guard and everybody's like, well, we're all just waiting for Rhaenyra to show up. But they have, you know, that this is the Secret Service is working for who's in the house, right? I mean, that's kind of how it breaks yeah. down. I mean, <laughs> sure. so sure. so I, 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 you've got, you know, you've got dragons. Um, it's definitely does feel like it's setting up for something like that. Now, the question is, what are we looking at if it's a penultimate? I mean, the feeling would be someone major has to die, right? That's usually and yet. The, the, Okay, so then who would you? Let's imagine. Let's. It's sort of like a Game of Thrones rule that the penultimate episode includes a major death. Mm-hmm. Would the king's death be major enough for you? No, because it was too inevitable. Right. Because he was dying, and I was shocked. I thought he was already dead in the beginning of the episode, and I think that's kind of how they played it. Right. When we jump six years, Vaiman says, "Yeah, but." Uh, the king's not on the throne. The thought is like, oh, well, oh, I guess Rhaenyra's must be in charge now, right? I mean, that's kind of how I mm. initially read that. And then we see her at Dragonstone and she mentions going to King's Landing and I'm like, oh, what the, huh? And so then it took me a second to sort of put that together. Oh, he's he's alive, but... but uh, I mean, the other thing that the they've throne. done with Game of Thrones episodes in the past is they have a major battle. Yeah. And that's that's sort of like the big climactic moment. And we kind of see the battle lines drawn in this episode. I mean, we, we kind of have been seeing them being drawn for a long time now. I just wonder how long for this world uh, Rhaenyra's boys are. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It just, the, just the their lack of battle savvy they're um like the best they can do is kind of be quick-witted or or sort of smarmy um, but that doesn't really solve the problem it's Renera who's the heir right doesn't solve the problem but i don't know that a problem needs to be solved in terms of just a dramatic twist and if you want something that's going to you know without i mean not that Renera needs a lot to be pushed over the edge but i mean if you get to a point where you, you, the the boys are in danger, or the boys are, or any one of them is is eliminated. I mean, nothing says okay, this war is on, like a like uh-huh. that type of a situation, right? Okay, I mean, normally, normally, I think I would I would lean toward asking you, like, all right, let's guess who's most likely to die next episode. I'm not going to do that. I want to do something different. Who's most likely to murder next episode? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
Because Eamon. we saw Damon murder someone this episode. I think Eamon is 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 right. You're gonna see Eamon go full psychopath. Yeah, that's what I think. Interesting that uh, Larry didn't enter. Right, the right. fray this episode. Yeah, which is that's that's interesting, right? So six six years have gone by. Well, because he's what he's he's hanging and hanging and rib, you know, uh, redoing Heron Hall. I guess. I guess. He's got bar rescue guys out there. Have you seen the theory that he's a warg and he's like, he he's the rat that we've seen in so many scenes. Oh, that's amazing. Maybe that he was he was in every scene. If you look at it, if you look closely, he's in every scene. This last episode, he's always in rat shape or whatever. God bless you, internet. All right, so I think I think we got. Oh, do do? oh yeah, I, f- I forgot the rating system. Oh how, yeah, yeah. How dare I? Um, Steve, is this a Dorn, a Danny, or a Dinklage episode? I'm gonna give it a Danny plus two. All right, I'm gonna give it a Dinklage minus one, and the reason why is that as soon as it was over, I started up again. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, it I, was sort of like one of yeah. those episodes where you're like, "That was good, and it was so good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it again. I want to see this right now." Mm-hmm. I just want to say that I, I was not anticipating liking this epi- episode as much as I did because I loved the last one so much. I thought there's no, there's no way. Just, this is going to be kind of a letdown. Um, I, I felt the same way going in because I was like, oh, that yeah. was a big one. I think we, you know, hopefully we didn't peak this uh, season. Well, Maybe I do we think I was just going to say I kind of feel the same way. I feel like I'm expecting the last two episodes of this season to be a little bit less impressive than what we just saw. Interesting. Because I don't feel like they've proven that they can do the battle scenes very well. Mm. Um, but like I, I've been... I've been pretty happy with this show so far. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a lot it, of warrant for complaining. I, I, maybe I'm just trying to not build myself up. Yeah, I'm not going to get my... I'm not going to go uh, in the expectation that I'm going to get double Dinklage on, at, as I go towards the end here. Um, which, now that I think about it, we should have maybe changed the name of our podcast. To, to double, double Dinklage. Dinklage. Yeah. Yeah, from now um, on, uh, we will say <laughs> Double Dragon, but in our hearts, know that we mean. we'll be thinking Double Dinklage. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know that I have. I don't ha- have, I mean, so far, it's like, I, I don't know why, I, I don't know why I couldn't trust them. They've, they've put together a great season so far. I've, um, I've been absolutely uh captivated by so much of what i've seen even the parts that i didn't think maybe would have been mm-hmm. as interesting um so I, I i i feel like i'm beyond benefit of the doubt so i'm i'm looking forward to these because I'm, I'm just i think i'm i'm going to go full in on this one and i'm going to uh, allow myself to to have high expectations not you know yes. lofty lofty but i'm like hey let's see what you got because i feel like this has been a very deliberate season and again these time jumps matter i think it's all going to pay off i think um i think what we've been it's going to be hard in a post viserys world into some degree to 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 have uh, the emotional investment that i may have had because of of his presence um but i am absolutely all in to see what's going to happen now there are so and many compelling characters that i want I will them add. to flesh out 
that if we never see Patty again, like if if we're done with Scabby Patty, um, and I don't know, they'll, they'll, I mean, you they could easily bring him back as a specter or whatever. But if if this was it, if he had an eight episode arc, bravo, man, bravo! Yeah. It, it, it no was. Question. It was among the best eight episodes of television I've seen. So, mm, I agree. We try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at Bald Move. Just join the club. Well, some people aren't a joining type, or maybe they're already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage, or for a podcast that really spoke to them or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep making the podcast you love. So, uh, book at baldmove.com if you have a question that you'd like to ask to someone who's an expert on medievalism and the medieval period. Um, this is from Baton Rouge Billy. Mm-hmm. I'm emailing to ask how important taxes were to fortify the wealth of medieval royalty. Were most kings and queens fiscally stable, or were taxes required to keep these monarchs afloat? Yes and no. Like taxes are such a weird thing because so much of medieval economics was tied up in the land. Um, What a lot of your wealth came from the territories that you were in control of. And basically, farming, agriculture, farming, yeah, farming, uh, and like uh, raising animals, raising Mm -hmm. horses. Uh, produce like goods that were produced on your land because there were also people there were also families again especially in later medieval Europe when you start seeing people getting money from trade when you start pe- seeing people getting money and this is not just the merchant classes this also ended up uh, in the arist- in the aristocracy as well but you start off you're, primarily though it was assumed that your money came from the land and your land was tended by your tenants and your tenants would pay you taxes or pay you some portion, give you some portion of their earnings, mm. uh, depending on a variety of factors, not include, not uh, limited to how much of a jerk you were. Like it really, <laughs> it really depends. So like, I mean, that, that's, that's the question, isn't it? So, um, so yes, taxes were important. Um, but also it was a matter of collecting them. Like you're talking about a not particularly centralized form of government. They didn't have an IRS. They didn't have a single, um, department that whose sole purpose was the collecting of taxes. They had a series of kind of provincial sheriffs whose job was to collect taxes. And hypothetically, the way that it worked was the peasants, uh, the peasants would work the land. They would give a certain amount of their yield to the local lord. The local lord, the local lord, would then consolidate all of that and give a certain amount to the slightly to the lord above him, who was in charge of that region. 
again, they would consolidate, take a certain amount and hand that off to the king. Now, when we're talking um, about yield here, are we talking about like, um, here's a, here's a bale of hay. <laughs> cause, cause I got, I got 10 bales of hay and I got to like, give you one of them. Yeah. Or was it like coinage? Sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Both, both. I mean, it, it honestly depended on who you were talking to because your, your average peasant on the street isn't going to have coin. Um, okay. Your average peasant on the street is going to have goods to barter. And maybe they'll have a little bit of coin here and there, but primarily on that level, you're talking about bartering goods. And the fact is like everybody needs these goods. These are all important parts of living your daily life. So um, also it's, and also it was a matter of communal storage. So for instance, uh, the castle was the most secure place to store food, to store grains, to store mm, cloth. Sure. Um, all of these things, if you're worried about sort of, I don't know, uh, people from the neighboring county coming over and trying to steal your stuff, um, you'll want to put them in the castle. So okay. among other things, this was also like it was a method of taxation, but it was also a means of sort of storing community goods in a secure location. Yeah, it was security. Yeah, security. And because in theory, what peasants were paying, were giving the Lord part of their goods for was security. We will give mm. you part of our harvest in return. You protect us from whatever the hell else is out there. Okay. Um, and it, this was, this is the, this is the, the way that the feudal contract is supposed to work. I give you stuff. You give me protection. In practice, it did not always work that way. Um, and it was a highly exploitative system and wealth did get very much concentrated in the upper classes. If you want to leave us an iTunes review, it will absolutely get read on this podcast. Uh, maybe. Um. <laughs> yeah, I love the absolute maybes. <laughs> they were a great uh, band back in like the, it was like the late sixties, early seventies. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, the absolute. Maybe they had that one hit. Maybe I yeah. don't know. They were like one of those bands with like twenty members. Yeah, right. And yeah, they were always they were always wearing different costumes every time, so you weren't really sure if they were the same people every time. That was part of their charm, but it's just a hard brand at that point. <laughs> All right, I think maybe. <clears throat> oh, choking on tuna. Well, you coughed. You coughed in a recording. That means you're going to die. <laughs> That's the rule. Uh, Steve, we got some new uh, Apple iTunes reviews. All right. As is our tradition, uh, we read these from time to time on our podcast. This next one is from Gray Boy. ER Jr. You got me. I am writing this review because I like the podcast and hope it get, keeps going. I like this. It's short and sweet. Uh, Five-star review. I mean, what more could you ask for? I like the idea that, like, he was, like, making a petition, like, you know, like, like a plea. Mm -hmm. And now I'm self-conscious. Like, are, what, are mm -hmm. we going to get, are we on the verge of, or, you know, are we, <laughs> did, did, did the Philippine slippage really do that yeah. much to our credibility? And Yeah, we're, we're, this is, I'd like to announce our last podcast today. <laughs> Not even finishing out the season. You're going to have to like 
ride out the last two episodes of House of the Dragon with the other dozen House of the Dragon podcasts. <laughs> this is, it's like we're finding out that this is like the Electoral College and Nate Silver had us uh, taking <laughs> the Philippines easily. But then now that the, the the results are in, it's like, well, I mean, like they, they, they did what they could with Hungary, but it's just... They've always had Hungary. Hungary is not, it's not a get. I mean, it was just don't lose Hungary. They really needed to gain ground in the Philippines. So this one is from this podcast has it all. And it ends with the line channeling my best Stefan. So I can't really do Bill Hader's Stefan, but just imagine that inflection in my voice. Fun jokes, cool insights, lore interpretations, fascinating information like real historical facts. Bring the whole family to Double Dragon for a great time. Yeah, I think it would be. Uh, yeah, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> this uh, this podcast has it all. Fun jokes, cool insights, lore interpretations, fascinating information like real historical facts. Bring the whole family to Double Dragon for a great time. <laughs> something like that. What's your, we, we need to add some sort of non sequitur. Something like... Um, <sighs> Like. Gross faces, <laughs> pussy backs, <laughs> incest, a soldier that looks like Tony Danza. <laughs> Man, I would get into a soldier that looks like Tony Danza. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>